Hello and welcome to the Empowered Hormone Podcast, where we pull apart all those taboo topics, periods, parasites, poos, hormones and more. Let's question everything you've been taught about your body. I'm your host, Sheridan Decker, a gin-loving gut health nerd passionate about debunking myths on birth control, period pain and IBS. If you struggle with bloating or your period is less than pretty, then join me as we chat about everything relating to gut and hormone health. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Empowered Hormones podcast. My name's Sheridan, which a lot of you guys know. And today I have the privilege of speaking to Sarah Rasbach. Get my mouth around that. Sarah is a certified women's health and wellbeing coach, and she's also an accredited grey area drinking coach, which we're going to jump into today because a lot of you are probably going, don't know what that is. Uh, she's also a keynote speaker sharing her journey to sobriety and the impact of alcohol on mental health to global audiences, which is amazing. On top of that, Sarah's a WA local like me, and she's the face behind Perth's growing alcohol-free movement. After developing what she describes as a dysfunctional relationship with alcohol, Sarah made the decision to remove alcohol from her life in early 2019 and has never looked back. She now works with women across the globe, guiding them from feeling lost, stuck and out of control to a healthier and happier way of living. So thank you, Sarah, for taking the time to chat to me today. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, there's so much like to unpack, even in those couple sentences, like well, paragraphs there. I just go, oh, there's so much that you've kind of achieved from 2019 to what are we now, 2023 or so, three, four years. How much your life's changed and the things that you're doing has probably changed as well. I know. So this time four years ago, I was still drinking. I was reaching the end of my drinking days. But honestly, if you told me then that this is what my life would be like now, I'd have just like laughed in your face, poured a glass of wine, lit a fag and kind of sat there and gone, yeah, yeah, whatever. And so, yes, it just goes to show. Is it just as like surprising for you as it is for friends and family? Or like, would they have gone, if you'd said to them like four or five years ago, oh, Sarah will be, you know, completely sober, would they have gone, nah, she wouldn't? Or... Oh, yeah, no one would have ever thought that I would be sober. Like I was the kind of person that was the first at the party, the last to leave, the first one cracking open beers when we were camping, the first one going, oh, let's have a wine at a play date. Like I was kind of leading the way in terms of trying to make everyone around me get as drunk as I wanted to get. Interesting, isn't it? So what got you to doing where you are now to creating this awareness and what brought that shift about? So I think for me... I'd always been a big drinker, but I'd always been a social drinker. Um, through my teens and 20s, I loved getting drunk, but I did it in a social setting. Um, and when we moved to Australia, I had two kids in very, very quick succession. So I was suddenly gone from leaving behind my life in London, which had a really incredible career. I had a really close group of girlfriends you know, weekends in Saint-Tropez, weekends in Paris. It was like living this, this idyllic um, life with, you know, no kids, no, no financial responsibilities and stuff. 
And then we'd got married, had kids, moved to Perth, and my whole life just changed beyond anything that I had really been prepared for. Looking back, I mean, who does that? Who has a baby and then leaves their mum and their best friends and everything they know to move to the other side of the world to go and live with uh, in a city where they know two people, both of whom are Kiwi farm boys um, who are probably not going to be that helpful on your journey to um, motherhood. So it was a bit of a big move anyway, and probably I should have been more... Um, expectant that it was going to be tough that I was but I honestly just was like oh it's fine it'll be an adventure it'll be like home and away and and that's what my life will be like yeah yeah wow that's a yeah that's a huge shift then yeah it was a big shift and and I struggled big time like yeah. really big time um I was really homesick I was unprepared for the difference it would feel to not have purpose through my work anymore to be at home with two very demanding young kids who like my son we didn't know it at the time has um language development delay so he couldn't hear very well so his way of communicating was to headbutt things so if I sat down to breastfeed my daughter my um, son who's 18 months older would start headbutting things to get my attention so I just lived he just spent the whole first year of her life with like bruises across his forehead because that was how he had communicated with me now I didn't know any like I was struggling Sheridan and that was when um as soon as I stopped breastfeeding I'll, and even when I was breastfeeding I would time it so that I could still drink my wine yeah. um and that's when alcohol became a friend and that's when alcohol became something that wasn't about socializing and became something that was serving a purpose. And I think whenever anyone gets to the point in their life where alcohol is not just a, a fun thing to enhance a good mood, but it's actually got a role in your life of soothing your pain, making your loneliness go away, making your feelings of sadness and um, and tiredness and stress and everything go away, then you're starting to go into problem territory because as soon as we create that neural pathway that says, when I feel X, I must drink, yeah. then we're getting into a bit of problem. The way the same way people do with alcohol is, you know, it's highly addictive. Um, and and it's also celebrated, right? Like we live yes. in a society where it's it's alcohol. I've been, I've done half marathons where I've been given a champagne at the end. I've done yeah. yoga classes where I've been given champagne. I've gone to play dates at ten in the morning where I've been given champagne. Yeah. Like we live in this alcohol centric society, and so we live with this false sense of belief that oh, it's fine to drink every day. Everyone drinks every day. It's not that much of a problem um, until it becomes a problem. Um, yeah. And that was what happened for me. And were you, like, how old were you when you were having your kids? Like, you're I was 33 and 35. Yeah, yeah, okay. So it uh, sort of started then, and then you were no longer working as well. You were full stay-at-home mum, full-time. I was for the first um, two years, and then I went back to work, and I set up my own business, but... What I realize now is like one of my core values is connection. I'm a people person. I love being around people. And I set up my own business because it was flexible and it worked around the kids. But I was at home on my own all day. And I didn't realize how much that was impacting my mental health. And so I was drinking around that as well. And so there was a whole combination of factors that just led to this whole storm in a teacup of me drinking, but then it was affecting my sleep, my anxiety, my mental well-being, my mood, like all of these things um, started to become impacted. And I, I took a break in 2017. I said to myself, yeah, the drinking has got 
a bit too much Sarah you need to rein it in so I intended to take 21 days off and I took 100 days off and I just kept going because I was like oh my god this is what it's like to wake up every day having had eight hours sleep and to have like positive mood and to go to the gym and to feel like all of these great things but I got to my 100 days and then I was like yeah but like you can't never drink again Sarah that would just be weird you are Sarah the party girl and so I went back to drinking thinking oh because I've had this break I've got my drinking under control now now I'll be a normal drinker now I'll be someone that just has one or two and within two weeks I was back to drinking the same amount as before and it became very clear to me that I was never going to be able to moderate it was never going to be an option for me and I tried for two years and um and then finally April 2019 I said that's it I'm done yeah that's I mean and it's a big thing to say that's it I'm done as well especially I don't know like I see that in clients on a simpler level something like gluten or dairy or you know what I mean like where there's lots of options and it's not as like a celebratory thing and they still struggle to say oh, I can't, I'm not eating that for a certain amount of time because this is giving me severe gut pain or whatever it is. Like to say, no, that's what I'm doing and not doing and then to stick with that decision and then to get put in social settings and to stick with that. Like it's it's such a big thing. I mean, like quitting smoking, like anything, like you're putting yourself through something and you're faced with that day in, day out kind of thing because you're right, we are such an alcohol-based society. Yeah, it's not easy. It's really not, but I think... I think for me, it, it I, I'd reached that decision of knowing I couldn't moderate. And so I knew that I was either drinking or I wasn't drinking. Yeah. And I knew that every time I took a break from alcohol, everything in my life was better. My yeah. mood, my relationships, how I parented, how I showed up at work, my skin, my hormones, I lost weight, like all of these things were so much better in my life when I took the alcohol away. And every time I went back to drinking, the feelings of self-loathing increased, my anxiety increased, my sleep was destroyed, I didn't exercise as much, I felt lethargic, exhausted, and, and, and everything was not so good. And so in the end, it did just take sitting there and going, Right. The third option doesn't exist for you, Sarah. The third option of being a normal drinker that can have one or two drinks every now and then, that's just not there for you. So you've got two options and your option is to carry on doing the thing that makes you feel dreadful or to stop doing that thing because you know it makes you feel amazing. And when you look at it in such a simplistic way, it's kind of like, yeah, that's what I've got to do. So is that what, you know, this term grey area drinking then, is that drinking occasionally or is that like you're not a full alcoholic? Like what what is that term then? So I think it's really important to clarify this and because alcoholic, like what comes into your mind, right? If I say to you, imagine you walk along the street when you leave your house today and you come across an alcoholic what are the stereotypes that come into your mind of what that person would be like? Yeah, I'm thinking someone who's drunk early in the morning and probably lower socioeconomic and, you know, spending what little money they do have, which might be from the government type stuff on a bottle of whiskey. Yeah, exactly. So I didn't drink every day. So therefore, and I didn't drink in the morning unless it was Christmas Day. And so then I would justify to myself, well, I can't be an alcoholic. Right. I Googled it a billion times, but I I still had a problem with alcohol. 
but I didn't fit into the category of being an alcoholic. I wasn't physically dependent on alcohol. I didn't need to drink and I didn't need medical rehab facility to come off it because we've got to also remember that alcohol, there are three substances that the human body can die from withdrawal from and alcohol is one of them, right? And the other two, one of them's illegal and one of them you can only get on prescription in very small amounts at any one time. And yet alcohol is listed listed as an essential service during lockdown, right? <laughs> That's a whole other argument. Yeah. Um, and so alcohol, we can actually die from withdrawal when the body has become so physically dependent on it. Now, most people don't fall into that category, right? They don't. And if we think about a scale of one to 10, one might be someone who doesn't drink or someone who has a glass of champagne at a wedding once a year, and other than that, alcohol does not feature in their life. And 10 is what we've just talked about, that person that wakes up with trembling hands who needs Mm. to have a drink in the morning. What's in the middle? And grey area drinking is probably about a four to an eight on that scale. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense because I think of the culture I grew up in, and that was down south in Albany, and a lot of the youth start drinking sort of quite early, and you're out for driving, and you're out camping, you're out having good time, and then you know lunchtime drinks are always cracked or beers are always cracked, and then you're drinking through the afternoon, and then there's something at night, and you're sort of drinking to the night. Like it is, I've never been a big drinker just because I got sick so early on that I just I simply couldn't. But a lot of my friends kind of were none like no one would ever turn around and say, oh. The youth in this group, they're a bunch of alcoholics, but they would drink, you know, every weekend, every evening kind of thing and more than one drink and it was consistent. But, yeah, okay, it's it's interesting. And even our, like, I think your friends now and your circles of friends and my parents and stuff, everyone drinks more, but, yeah, definitely not alcoholic, alcoholic exactly. standard. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. And that's why the term grey area drinking is, is useful because... Mm-hmm. People, there's so much stigma around the label alcoholic, right? People yes. don't want to have that label. And so, but if you talk about gray area drinking, it's that it is the gray area of I don't drink at a safe level in which I'm not, you know, getting something from the alcohol. I have a problematic relationship with alcohol, but I don't label myself an alcoholic. So what am I? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think like, to sort of focus in on women then in that area you talked about of having young kids and struggling and being at home and all that stuff. I think that's really important to highlight because it is something that goes under the radar in a sense. And we sure we have this mummy wine culture that you kind of joke about going out for a drink with the girls and the husband's home with the kids or whatever. But I guess when there is that struggle with that mental health side of things or you're home and you're lonely or you're trying to cope we do then turn to things like alcohol isn't it we do and it's and it's like socially acceptable I think about you know any whatsapp group mums group that you're in you just put one message out there that says oh my god my husband's driving me nuts or the kids are being a nightmare and the immediate response will be go and pour yourself a glass of wine like we do big alcohol's job for it. We market it all the time because it's become the go-to thing. But we've got to remember, it's not normal to drink every day and it's not safe to drink every day. And we've kind of lost sight of that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you must see then like for the women that, because tell us a little bit about the group that you've created or how you went from, I guess, doing that and noticing that, becoming sober, and then how that's led you to impact other women's lives now. Yeah, so I got sober and then I did a huge amount of healing and I did a lot of um, therapy and I did like I just unpacked a lot of stuff because I don't think there's anyone out there that is drinking 
problematically just because they enjoy it. Most of us are doing it because we're masking something, we're using it as a coping strategy, whatever that might be. So I did all this work on myself. And then I was like, but if I was struggling in that way, there must be so many others who are as well. So I decided to retrain. I did my health and wellness coaching qualification. And then I did my gray area drinking accreditation. And then I set up a Facebook group. It was a free Facebook group. And I just said, if anyone out there wants to know about gray area drinking and get support to quit booze, come and join. And it very quickly started to grow. And then this coincided with me. I did an interview with Mamma Mia and they interviewed me for my story of why I decided to quit drinking. And it was quite a vulnerable, raw, open story. It was, um, it was quite confronting for me to read it because I was like, oh my God, my kid's teacher might read this and they might know what my drinking was like. But I was like, that's how I'm going to help others is if I show them how my drinking was. So this story went live and Sheridan, 8,000 women reached out to me and they all came and joined my Facebook group and they all said, you've just told my story. This is exactly me. And that was like the moment really that I kind of was like okay I've got to start creating programs because I couldn't work one-to-one because how do you do that with so many people so that was when I launched my alcohol-free challenges which were programs designed to support women because there's so many people out there that go and do dry July or they do Feb fast and they take a month off they cross off the days and then they get to the first of March and go get absolutely smashed and and the whole of the month was kind of pointless and I used to do that quite a lot because it lulled me into thinking, oh, well, I can't have a problem because I've just taken a month off. So I created these challenges so that people could actually create long-term change from taking this period off. And so I educate them, I inform them, I give them loads of resources so that they end the challenge with making that decision. Okay, how do I feel without alcohol in my life? How have I been able to find other ways to manage my stress or what else I do when I've had a row with my husband or the kids are being naughty or my boss is really upset me? Like, have I created some other coping strategies away from alcohol, which is the whole point of these programs? And they've just kind of grown a life of their own. And now they've just become these infamous challenges that I run a couple of times a year. And I've seen that I've just supported thousands of women now. And do you think like, because this support network is so amazing, but do you think that like, beyond these challenges, then these, this impact is, is continuing on? Like it is more than just your, your alcohol or like, you know, that sugar-free challenge, alcohol-free challenge or whatever it is. Like, I feel like the impact you're making women's life goes beyond that. And it's something that, yeah, will help them. Yeah. So I have a group coaching program um, called Rediscovering Me which is a program about, well, who the hell am I if I don't drink anymore? Because for so many, like I started drinking at 14 and I stopped when I was like 42, um, was I 42, yeah, 42. And so if, I, I didn't know who I was without booze. Like I didn't, if you'd said to me, what are your hobbies? I'd have been like, well, getting pissed because I didn't really know what else I liked doing. And so it, I had to go on this whole journey of, of experimenting with trying new things and, and discovering what I liked. And, and it took me a long time. And so I put together this program that kind of helps people to really ask themselves the questions that they need to ask themselves to get the answers, to be able to fast track to creating a more fulfilling life where they don't even want to drink. Because do you think that is the biggest challenge in whether it's removing alcohol or for some people it might just be really stripping back their alcohol intake? Is it not so much 
the practicality side of it in a sense of I'm going out and someone doesn't have alcohol-free drinks or the social settings, but is it also, I guess, addressing who am I without alcohol? Because it's, it's like, well, if I'm not that person who drinks, then yeah, what is my identity or how else am I coping with being a, being a young mom or being single or being lonely or being what it is? It must be beyond just simply going out and not having, you know, alcohol-free gin on hand. It's so much more like that is just in, in some ways that's the easy bit, not drinking. Yeah. Like that the work starts when we have to start to sit with emotions, which you know, many of us have never been taught how to do. We have to learn um, you know, we have to discover what lights us up and what we like doing mm. because all of a sudden you don't want to go and spend six hours in a pub watching people get drunk if you're drinking a soda water. And so then it's like, well, what do I want to do with my time instead? And so it really does take time, curiosity, effort to really discover how to create a more meaningful and purposeful life so that you don't even want to drink. Because the two, the three probably biggest triggers Mm -hmm. that I see for people going back to drinking are stress, loneliness and boredom. Yeah. And and I I did a poll in my group and I've got 14,000 in the group now. And I said, what's the number one reason you drink or did drink? And the overriding re- response was oblivion to escape mm. my life. And mm. you just got to wonder why are so many women mm. have a life that they seek to escape every night? Why don't we go back a bit and work on that life so we don't even need to drink anymore? Yeah. Yeah. So you don't, yeah, you're 100% right. So you don't need to escape it. And I mean, from a practitioner point of view, I see so many women who have come in with these hormonal imbalances, but also depression and anxiety and all that stuff. And, you know, you have a quick squeeze at their alcohol intake and often it's a lot higher than what I would like. You're sure if it's one here or there, I'm like, whatever. But when it's the consistency and then you marry all those things up and you're like, oh, okay, well, you know, you've also got sort of mental health struggles, but also you've got these massive hormonal shifts or gut issues. And a lot of them, even like just by removing the alcohol, see such a shift in health issues as well. Like it's it's just so all interconnected. Yeah, it really is. I remember my um my naturopath saying to me, this is years ago, he said, Sarah, your estrogen is so high, it's off the chart. You need to do a liver detox and take a break from the booze. And I was like, but what do you mean? What's alcohol got to do with estrogen? Like it just made no sense to me whatsoever. But now knowing what I now know, of course it makes sense, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Is there tips or tricks or places for people to start if they're listening and going, oh, that sounds like me or I'd like to give it up or I know I'm using it to fill a hole or something like that. Where where does someone start? Because it must seem so overwhelming and you've been there to go, oh, I'm just going cold turkey and giving it up. Like that just seems so like such a big step. Yeah, and that's why I, that's why I run these challenges so that people can come and do it alongside mm-hmm. others. Like the community connection part of my challenges is one of the most important parts because it's so women can connect with each other. And I have women in the USA, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, the UK, Singapore, and we all come together in one group and the support and connection is just incredible. And then I provide every day, I provide resources, podcasts, book recommendations, TED Talks, information about your neural pathways, what happens in your brain when you have a drink, what happens in your gut when you drink, how to socialize without drink. Some of my clients, like we talk about sober sex, like some of them haven't, you know, going on a date and 
and doing that without alcohol. Like the, there's so many things that alcohol is part of our life that we don't realize. And we just have to start to break it down bit by bit. And how to cope when your friends are all going, oh, don't be so boring. Come and just have one. And so we manage and, and, and do all of that. And so to anyone who's listening, you know, looking at, at my challenge, go onto my website, sarahrusbatch.com. And there's a free guide as, as well on there that you can download that's got lots of podcast recommendations, book recommendations and things like that. Awesome. And your Facebook group, what is it called? It's called the Women's Wellbeing Collective. Awesome. And I'll link that in the show notes for you guys. So you can jump in and have a look at that. I'll link in Sarah's website and then also her Instagram, which is simply her name. So Sarah Rusbatch at Sarah Rusbatch, which I will link in for you as well. But thank you, Sarah. That was, yeah, shed a light on something that I don't know, like I would initially see gray area drinking. Like when I first saw your stuff, totally went past it. I mean, I'm not a big drinker anyway, but I was like, ah, like whatever, like drinking, that's not an issue. But the more I looked into it and I followed your stuff and I joined your Facebook group and I was like, this is such a thing for all the women. Like so many of the women I work with, they don't even realize the impact it's having, how much they rely on it and how stepping away from alcohol could just, you know, improve so many areas of their life. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I say. The first thing I say is take a break. Because most people in the Western world don't take a long enough break from alcohol to know how they can truly feel without it. And the second thing is, if you can't take a break and you actually can't take 30 days off, then you definitely need to take a break because you've definitely got a problem because someone who can't take 30 days off clearly has a problem, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, 100, 110%. So anyone who's listening, I will link all that stuff in because I think there is a lot for you guys to learn here and to look into. But thank you so much for your time today, Sarah. I really appreciate it. I love the things you're doing. I love the way you're supporting women and I love, yeah, the work you're doing around the world. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Empowered Hormone Podcast. If you know a female who needs some empowerment, please forward, repost, tag or share and let's get women talking.